your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that Ragnaroks Brought to you by Tyrrell's Crisps I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Taste buds on fire off the dusting of sweet chilli. I watched fried potato glitter in the dark near the production line gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like crisps in a big bowl at a party. Time to snack. That is actually the kind of pretentious thing that would be on a crisp ad. <laughs> it probably would be a crisp or like a perfume advert. Yeah, I, uh, it's kind of like that Guinness thing, isn't it? Maybe you could have some people like surfing on it. <laughs> yeah, the, the boy, unrelated. The boys at Tyrrell's were really unhappy at the Blade Runner sequel. Um, you know, resurfaced bad memories. You know, bad brand association. You know, they want to be known for their delicious crisps, not replicants. Um, so, you know, they came to the right people, you know. You've done well there. You've done well. Um, anyway, after that uh, fantastic <laughs> crisp-related sponsor, um, we're here for films. It's been a while. Uh, episode 27? I you just right. checked it and now I've forgotten. That's the state of my brain. Um, <laughs> we're here to talk about films, obviously. I'm here with films expert David Peeling. Hello. Films expert Michael Johnson. Hiya. And, uh, well, films expert Alex Wayne. Get in there. I thought I was going to be a correspondent for a minute. Well, I was trying to come up with something wittier, but I couldn't. Yeah. So I just went down straight down the middle. I played it conservative. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How are we all? Have we been watching lots of films? Because I haven't really, which is a bit disappointing, but... I've watched a few. It's um, The last few months are typically quite a quiet period. Yeah, um, but I've seen three films, all of which, um, you know, I've got opinions on. Um, <laughs> Good, always useful. Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, it, it, there is there has been one particularly great, well, two particularly great films out recently. So well, it's been quiet, but you know, there's been films out there. I would have said. Cool, Michael. You've been to see much or I really, ha- much I really movies? haven't, as I will, no. as I will mention as we go. <laughs> That sounds I'm similar still to here. Me. Cool. Excellent. And Dave? I've seen Phil. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Is it going to start picking up again, Al, uh, soon? I, you would imagine so. It's about the sort of time, um, well, probably... Is it Oscar season? Yeah, yeah, like end of the month, like beginning of December. The Oscar, okay, between cool. December and January, you'll probably have loads of award contenders, um, in theory. Most of them, I think, are out the first week of January, but um, should should pick up a little bit. Okay. Must have cool. edited out all the men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> once the sex abusers have been uh, edited out, which leaves virtually nobody in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Well, um, on that sound note, let's get started with Al. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so we're gonna get started. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get started with the um, probably as far as we're concerned, at least the big release, uh, one that I believe all of us have seen, at least three of us anyway. Um, the long-awaited sequel to Blade Runner, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, 
If you haven't seen this, and apparently quite a few people haven't, because it's bombed, despite, I'm going to say this from the outset, being great. Um, oh, has it? I didn't know that. Yeah, apparently it's not going to make its money back. Or the industry term, I believe, is washing its face, which is a great term. <laughs> apparently, generally speaking, you take the budget of the film and times it by two when you've added in marketing, and then apparently it needs to hit that number, but it hasn't yet. Um, okay. They're saying it probably will, like, over time, but obviously it's not going to make much of a profit, if any. Anyway, um, directed by Denis Villeneuve, better known for um, Arrival, Sicario, um, and Prisoners, uh, written by the original writer of the Blade Runner, Hampton Fancher, and somebody called Michael Green. Long ensemble ensemble cast, uh, Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford's back, Robin Wright... Anna de Armas, Sylvia Hooks, Mackenzie Davis, Jared Leto, and former wrestler Dave Batista. Who I don't know how he became an actor, but he's actually not bad. Um, it's ironic because <laughs> when he was a wrestler, he couldn't act for shit. So <laughs> I couldn't wrestle either, though. Could he really? No, he not not wrestler. really. He was just a big bloke. Yeah. Yeah, in very PVC shiny pants. Yeah, naturally. Um, anyway, this is the long-awaited sequel. It's set. I believe it's supposed to be something about 20, 20 years after the original. Main character is called Kay, who is a replicant cop who has been tasked with finding the remaining uh, original line of replicants, uh, hunting them down and killing them. And he stumbles up upon what looks like... Um, oh, I'm debating whether to say this because debatably a spoiler, but I'm going to say it. Stumbles upon what looks like evidence of the first replicant child, and that's what the entire plot uh, centres on. I won't say any more because it is it is a film that's laden with plot twists. I think what, the first thing that becomes really apparent when you're watching this film is just, even with nothing else, how visually stunning it is. Uh, I mean, it had a very large budget for what is essentially an art, an art house action film. Um, it had it was about $185 million, allegedly. Um, but you, you can see it on the screen. You know, they haven't... It's, it's not hidden in salaries. It's absolutely... It's like somebody's painted every single frame to perfection. Um, Roger Deakins, best best known as a cinematographer for the Coen Brothers and more recently James Bond films, uh, has got to be a shoe in for best cinematography. The what really impresses me more than that though is actually um, just the approach to storytelling. So when you're talking about film, you're talking about show don't tell. You know, you really want to keep exposition to a to a minimum. Which I think the great example of that going badly is the Matrix sequels. The first Matrix, one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, the, the sequels had a had a, just a really incoherent sort of like an irritating tendency to tell you what was happening, or to in in the case of the philosophical ideas it was running with, let an old bloke have a monologue, a rambling monologue for about twenty minutes. Blade Runner twenty forty nine has no such problems. It's a great example of letting the audience see the thema, the, the uh, thematic values, and it treats its audience with with no no pretension, but equally with with no no kid gloves. And I was a, a big fan of that. Um, performances were across the boards excellent. I mean, Harrison Ford basically only plays one character nowadays, which is a grizzled version of himself. Uh, it's exactly the same in Star Wars but um, I've got no problem with that and it, it really does fit in this um, Ryan Gosling is back to his dialed, do- dialed down kind of one note performance but 
it really fits in this one, just like it did in Drive. And he's um, he's quietly powerful in this. Uh, but I, I thought the standout was um, Anna de Armas, who is not someone I've come across before, who plays the holographic um, fake girlfriend uh, for Kay, or Ryan Gosling's character. Um, something I'll talk over, over later. What I loved about this as well is the fact that it absolutely refused Spoonfeeder's answers. And sorry to spoil this if you haven't seen it, but it has no conclusive answer to whether Deckard is a replicant or a human, which I find great. It had a, it's a long, long film. It comes in at 163 minutes. And to me, it felt like a 90-minute film. I couldn't believe how quickly it went. I, it's my film of the year so far. I was absolutely blown away by it. I don't know how they've managed to do this. I mean, cinema and TV have a long history of trying to ring out old franchises and they always come back either terrible or almost as comedy parodies of what they were. But this is absolutely not. Debatably better than the first film. And I say that with having put a lot of thought into that sentence. Um, I absolutely loved it. Clive, what were your thoughts on it? Um, I absolutely loved it. It's my favourite film of the year. Um, we went with I went with Cable and Beck at about... Quite uh, apt, really. We went at sort of 10pm on a Saturday. We were all really knackered and <laughs> debating whether we were actually going to get through it. And the cinema we're in was empty, <laughs> which just ended up being kind of the perfect atmosphere for it. And I was just completely blown away by it. I, like you say, every scene is meticulously crafted. It all looks stunning. It was. I came out feeling like I'd seen something really special and not in a sense that I was moved or anything in particular, which is rare. Normally it's like I've been really moved by it. And I'm like, oh, that was amazing. But this wasn't really one of those. It was like, I just feel, felt like I'd seen something that was really, really special and amazing. And it had just done so many things that I hadn't really seen done and just been kind of slightly abstract. And I don't know, I just really, really loved it. Michael, your thoughts? Well, as I made reference to, I haven't seen a lot of films lately for various reasons and time constraints. And the fact that going to the cinema has now finally breached a tenor of time. Where will it end? Do you know what I mean? But um, <laughs> um, I, did, I did make a point of going to see this. I hated the idea of a Blade Runner sequel from the when I first heard that it was actually happening. Blade Runner is probably um, the best film for me that I've seen from the 1980s. Absolutely love it. So I was um, somewhat worried about this, but I was always going to go and see it. And uh, I'm glad to be able to echo exactly what you've both said. I thought it was um, absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's, I mean, it's it's an existential crisis, basically, film, which I think makes for the best narratives in, in the films that I like the most, anyway. Um, but what an absolute blockbuster of one. Uh, as has already been said, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Just the shots of vehicles flying over cities and urban areas alone are amazing and totally worth seeing on the big screen, uh, which, unfortunately, as you mentioned, the, the film did have a disappointing box office performance. But absolutely made for cinema, um, this film, visually. And just the score, I love the score as well. Uh, I've seen a couple of people independently online compare it to um, a sort of mixture of um, the original Vangelis score mixed with the production style of the Haxon Cloak, the English uh, electronic producer, who is uh, whose work is super atmospheric, and I think that's an absolutely perfect um, comparison. Uh, inc- just incredible sort of sound to the film. It was very... Um Sorry to put in like yeah, quite yeah. unmelodic, but in a really good way. Like it wasn't didn't have any like these epic pieces that built anything up necessarily, but they're just kind of like you say, atmospheric. I think is the key word. Yeah, and I think that's what really made it stand out to me. It's, it didn't have any sort of bits that were trying to 
jerk tears out of you. There was the odd bit like that, but it had a, I don't know, yeah, something special about it that wasn't hooked in the melody. It was kind of something else that was doing it, which I found pretty interesting. Certainly, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just pounding. It, the score really rears its head out of nowhere at times, uh, which I, yeah. I really liked. Um, the end, the action sequence towards the end of the film, the final action sequence, um, gave me goosebumps to be to be honest. And I loved how economical it was. We've railed plenty of times on this podcast against the idea of humanity itself always being at stake in big blockbuster films and things. And the way this narrative develops, it could le- it could be leading to something like that. But this is just it feels like one episode within that. And um, you know, the, there aren't a lot of elements to that final action sequence, which is just superbly shot and executed. Um, I thought the uh, the acting was great as Alex covered pretty much I, I, and I think it's one thing that's worth noting is that um, Hampton Fanshire co-wrote the screenplay uh, originally wrote the um, well he, he worked on the first screenplay for the original Blade Runner film but it was um, he was dropped as the writer which apparently absolutely devastated him and to come back 35 years later and co-write um, such a triumphant follow-up I think is um you know, it's that's a great story in itself from a writing perspective, and I think that the I don't know as Alex said, it's it's quite amazing really that the the story uh, when so many sequels bomb and don't work as um, as a sort of story, I think for this one to feel so natural and to grow out of the elements that made the first one so great and, and genuinely progress is uh, really a triumph that um, that really makes the film what it is for me. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've seen some criticism of the film. Um, I noticed um, there was some criticism focusing on the fact that uh, women seem to be disposable in this world that is depicted in the, in the Blade Runner sequel, and that the skyline, in terms of advertising, is dominated by um, sort of images of uh, women being used for that sort of purpose. And I think that's you know that's a fair point, but it's also to me, that is the world that we live in, and that is how a dystopia would develop. So, I think filmmakers sometimes, um, you know, I don't. To be clear, I don't like the fact that that's the world we live in, but I think it's a reflection of exactly where our society could head. I think filmmakers sometimes, even if they're not intending to, can make a point without consciously doing so. I think that is very much how a dystopia developing from you know the modern age that we that we live in would develop. And I don't think the fact that it's depicted in the film is somehow suggesting that the writers approve of that. Um, so, so I didn't really buy into that criticism that much. Yeah. No, that annoyed me, to be honest, because I was like, just because it's, you know, depicting the future doesn't mean this is the future that the director thinks is the best possible future. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> if that's yeah. what he thought, then, yeah, it would be sexist, but it's not. I think it's what he thinks, where it's actually going, mm-hmm. which is a completely different mm-hmm. thing. It's like, if, you, if it's a sexist society and he's depicting it, that doesn't mean that he's a sexist. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand people who... Agreed, yeah. I've seen a fair, fair argument online as well, which I hadn't really thought of, so I'm absolutely regurgitating a point here, but um, that despite the fact, obviously, there is what you might call sexist imagery, albeit not in a sexist way, uh, a lot of the female characters in it are actually surprisingly powerful. You've got Robin Wright's character, Lieutenant Joshi, who is uh, clearly the most capable person in the film and is in charge of uh, Kay. You have, you know... Oh, actually, I can't say that because it's a spoiler. But there's another female character who is extremely important to the plot, yeah. who is all-powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the main kind of Rutger Hauer replacement, um, played by Sylvia Hooks, um, who is an all-crushing female character. So I think 
I think on balance, the film is... is well, I, I think it's far from sex, and I, and I agree with your point there, Michael. Um, oh. I would also say as well that um, despite the fact that... Um, she plays a fake girlfriend character. The character of Joy, the holographic fake girlfriend, is arguably the most human character in the film. Um, yeah. And I, I never thought, I never thought, it would be possible to make a romance between an artificial intelligence that has no choice and another robot uh, so touching or uh, so connecting. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that point. I don't. While the imagery is obviously dominant with kind of naked exploited females i don't think that is the intention is not to promote that it's not like a transformers film where i don't think it makes it look like a positive thing at all yeah oh, no, no yeah it's like <laughs> yeah. um i'm gonna make a side sideways it's comparison. CD. yeah make a sideways comparison here but there's a tv show called the, the deuce running at the minute um David simon's new tv show and it's dominated by um scenes with sex workers and scenes with um porn and um, but it's and obviously there's plenty of female nudity in it but it's never once seedy or sexy that's not the point of it and i think um some people miss that i think sometimes especially on twitter people are you know want to be the first one to raise a storm and sometimes often that's a great thing but often it can pick the wrong targets in my opinion yeah um no i'd agree with that yeah and um the fact that, that you mentioned uh Darmas's character there uh, that really leads into just one other criticism that I've seen that I wanted to address, which is some people said this lacked the nuance of the first one in terms of the uh, the story, and that it d- it divided people into goodies and baddies in a way that the first one didn't. But again, I'm not, I don't really agree with that. I think it raises really pressing issues that are um, you know re- relevant to uh, where we could be going um, in terms of de- technological development, and I think that it it there was a lot of um, nuance involved. I mean, it, it raises them in a way that, without wanting to go into it in too much depth, because I think it would spoil things, you know, it's quite startling, really, when you think about some of the things it depicts. But I don't, I mean, I don't want to go into any in any more depth than that. But yeah, yeah this is, um, this is. I'd have to agree, this is the best film that I've seen this year, out of a limited amount, but certainly the best. And I just can't, I can't really um, express how good I thought it looked just to sit back and take this mm. film in. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, ha- it had some, the, probably the best critical write-up I've maybe ever seen, and the fact that I came out not even slightly disappointed shows how well this went down with me, because quite often, even if something's good, once you've had it built up, you're expecting something, and I got mm. exactly what I was hoping for. Um, you haven't chipped in yet, Dave, so I'm, I'm going to assume you haven't seen this? No, <clears throat> no I haven't seen this. Um... I was never an enormous fan of Blade Runner. It always left me kind of cold. Yeah, I remember you saying that. (laughs) the idea of... It's definitely something I'm interested in seeing. It's definitely a film that I want to see at some point. But as Michael said, the idea of spending... um, The idea of spending 11 or £12 and then taking basically four hours out of my life when you consider, you know, getting to and from the cinema and stuff like that for a film that might leave me cold... It it put me off. If it was if it was I you know if if the what the, the film the director had wanted to make was an hour or so shorter, I probably would have given it a punt. I understand that that's not what it is, so I didn't. Um, I will probably give it a go at home, and I understand that you know there are films that are made to be seen in cinema, but it's 
it's too intimidating a, a, an ask. And I, I imagine yeah. that that's goes an awful long way to contributing to why it's not a financial success. I probably go on a bit of a limb here. There's somebody at my work who didn't love Blade Runner. Yeah, he didn't hate it, but didn't get what the fuss was all about. And yet he really, really loved this film. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think you will actually like this quite a lot. It's weird Fair to enough. say this with, with a long-standing sequel, but I don't think... I think it's necessary to have seen it, but I don't think it's necessary to have liked Blade Runner to like this. Uh, is that a fair... Do you think that's right, Michael, or would you disagree there? Yeah, I do. I don't quite know how to put it into words, but I do think it feels... Um, now, as I said, I think it stays true to the original, but it really develops it and goes, heads off in other directions. I think it feels like quite a different film in terms of uh, its style overall. I, that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it. Fit. I I like Blade Runner. I'm, again, I'm not. I'm not one of these who's in love with the '80s Blade Runner. I do like it. I think it's a good film. But um, yeah, I absolutely love this. So, and I do think it has a different some something different about it. Yeah, it's like you say. It's, it feels it has similar elements, but a lot of it is actually quite different. Yeah, I think I, I, what all I was going to add was I think that. Um it, uh, it does actually feel like a blockbuster film. And we're just, I think, we're, I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but we're not used to them actually being this good, blockbusters generally. I tend to look at them yeah. and think they're not going to be, but this this feels like a blockbuster in a way that I think the first film didn't really. It was more of a cult film. I'm guessing that this film probably owes quite a bit to the likes of Christopher Nolan uh, for showing yeah. that, you know, intelligent blockbusters can be, you know, big ticket sellers, which is why I hope that the fact that this hasn't done very well doesn't put them off. Because uh, we really don't need any more, um, you know, comic book films or any more uh, idiotic Transformer or fa- Fast and Furious films. <laughs> what we need is more films like this. Who knows? Like, I don't think we're going to get another sequel to this. Put it that way. Um, and there's definitely room for it. I think. Probably not for a while. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, one other fun Still. fact, by the way, um, that I wanted cool. to mention. Uh, Jared Leto. I mean, I thought he did a great job. The scenes with his character are pretty chilling. Um, but originally David Boeing was going to be uh, well he was wanted to play that part just a, just a fun little yeah, fact I, I, th- I think Bowie would have been perfect for it as well I think he's um, uh. obviously he's not like a acting's not his main thing but I think certain roles yeah. he's born for and this would have been one of them I think mm-hmm. yeah I agree he would have been very share. good in it cool um, right let's move on let's take it to Dave thanks we've not heard much from you yet <laughs> great thank you very much um, so as I said earlier, I've not seen uh, much since the last time we did this podcast, but um, I have seen one absolutely outstanding film in that time. I have been to see The Death of Stalin, directed and written by uh, Armando Iannucci of The Thick of It and Veep fame. The Death of Stalin is based on a, uh, a, f- a French graphic novel that tells the story of the end of uh, Stalin's life and the the power vacuum that that left in the Soviet Union in 1953 as you no doubt agree obviously ripe for comedy um the <laughs> the the film begins with with a recording on the radio of um uh, of an orchestral piece by Mozart and during the during the recording, Stalin phones up the radio office and asks for a recording of the um, of the piece. 
uh, at which point horrified engineers realised that it's just going out live over the radio and no one is recording it anywhere. And so they have to recruit um, an audience off the street as they've left the previous one, leave thus affecting the acoustics in the hall so that they can replay and record the entire piece all over again. The That's just one small example of the kind of essentially true-to-life story um, that did happen, albeit that, uh, as Iannucci confesses, they, re- they re-recorded it more than once in real life, but he felt that almost too absurd to put in a film. No one would believe it. It kind of, you know, one of the many true stories that that are so absurd and scary that gives this film all its, all its, um, all its brilliant, brilliant humour. The film stars uh, an absolutely all-star cast, including Steve Buscemi as Nikita Khrushchev, uh, Simon Russell Beale as. Uh, as uh, Beria, who was the head of Stalin's um, secret police, the NKVD, as probably the two most main characters of the ensemble, but there's also uh, absolutely outstanding turns from Jeffrey Tambor as Malenkov, Michael Palin as Molotov, Paddy Considine plays the uh, uh, engineer in the radio station, Paul Whitehouse. Uh, plays a member of the Presidium of the Soviet Union. Jason Isaacs is fantastic as um, Marshal of the Soviet Union, uh, Georgi Zukov, with one of the more spectacular opening lines I've seen in, in film. I believe it's in the trailer when he bursts into a room and goes, what does a fucking war hero have to do to get some lubrication around here? Um, <laughs> the the he plays He plays his character with a... Uh, with a with a kind of with his basically his natural uh, English accent, Northern English accent. Uh, all the char- all the actors do. All the actors uh, don't put on any accent whatsoever. And Iannucci has explained that this was partly because he didn't want people to worry about trying to uh, affect a good Russian accent during the improvi- during improvisation of scenes. He also thought that the, the, the cinema goers would be taken out of the film by, by watching this. And it, it also reflected the fact that the Presidium and the kind of the, 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 the Central Committee that ran the Soviet Union, all the members of it came from different countries. And it's easy to kind of think that the Soviet Union was full of just evil Russians, but there were Ukrainians and Yugoslavians and Czechoslovakians, um, as well as uh, Russians and Georgians, all in uh, all in the Central Committee, who all have spoken completely different languages and with fantastically different accents when they try to speak a common language as well. And it comes across really, really well. It's an, it's a it's definitely the right decision that has been made. The the, the performances are all uh, utterly straight and down the line. There is no there is very little kind of classic comedy almost acting in this the the comedy comes from the utterly absurd and incomprehensible yet true and often turned down stories that are being relived in this film that said there are elements of slapstick throughout one particularly memorable moment is seeing the central committee trying to carry stalin's corpse across a room whilst avoiding stepping in the puddle of urine that he's left behind as he died the film moves from very quickly from the the kind of the slapstick at the, at the start and um you you find out some absolutely fascinating things about uh, the internal power struggles that took place 
and the the utter evil that Stalinism um, caused. Simon Russell Beale plays Barry, as I said, the head of the secret police, and he he, he is utterly frightening. It's a absolutely spectacular performance, and it betrays. Um, some of the more hideous kind of moments in Russian history. This this film has had has received some a minor amount of criticism from people who fail to understand that comedy is as valid an art form as drama for having made light of a serious situation. And there are moments where you kind of catch yourself absolutely roaring with laughter over something that is absolute absolutely incomprehensibly reprehensible and uh, there were moments in the cinema where where um, I was the only person laughing and lots of the audience didn't find the moment funny I think I can imagine in some showings however the it was almost exactly the opposite and I'm sure everyone was was uh, in tears so that's that can be a slightly that was a slightly off-putting feature of my showing was I, I was made to feel a little bit uncomfortable but um the the film has um, a, a, a spectacular um, uh, ending. It, it 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 it's paced really really well. It brings the whole thing to a uh, an almost inevitable climax. You can kind of see it coming from a long way away, and that only adds to the drama of it. And this film is one of the absolute um, all time comedy greats for me. I absolutely loved every minute. The details, the the sterling performances from across the ensemble cast. A special mention has to go to the completely and utterly straight but totally bonkers performance uh, from uh, Andrea Riseborough, who plays Stalin's daughter, who uh, Svetlana, who is brought in after he dies, and uh, Rupert Friend as Vasily, Svetlana's brother, Stalin's son who um, plays one of the funnier drunks you'll see on the screen. <laughs> I I cannot recommend this enough. Um, you don't have to have an interest in, in, in history. If you have any kind of... If you have any sense or understanding of satire, you will absolutely adore this movie. Yeah, so that's The Death of Stalin. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll chime in now because I've seen this... Um... Large, just completely to concur with you, actually. I absolutely loved it. I saw it in a really odd cinema. Uh, it was just a cine world, but it was in um, one of their absolutely tiny screens. And it was sold out. It was during the day, um, and it was packed out with golden oldies. And I got literally the last seat on the end of a row. Um, mm. But it, it was like, you know, when you're in a room and you've got one telly, but you're in that one chair in the room where you're kind of looking slanting across the telly. Mm. I was considering complaining because I was thinking to myself, you know, this is not, I'm not getting a great view here, but the minute it got rolling, um, it didn't matter to me at all because I was absolutely, I was rocking in my chair with laughter. It, I, th- I think, just like you said, I think this film gets it just right in terms of being hilarious, but also not shying away from, obviously, the horrific nature of the Soviet Union. And um, the, the fact that you mentioned at the start, the, the scene with Paddy Considine, uh, where he's scrambling around getting people back for the recording is pitch perfect. It's un- it is literally like like Ian as you said unbelievable that the real thing was even more absurd. I thought I mean I concur with you completely in terms of the performances you mentioned. I would I would actually pick Jeffrey Tambor as a bit of a standout in this is Georgie Malenkov mm. who is the <laughs> the most 
insipid fence sitter, uh, absolutely inappropriate for leadership, who gets it thrust upon him uh, after the death of Star, uh, Stalin. And um, I mean, I think he's a great actor uh, ever since I've seen him in Arrested Development and more recently in Transparent. I just, I don't know how to even describe how good this is. I mean, like you said, you don't. I don't really know much about Russian history. Um, I think actually I want to know more about it now, but that isn't important. Like the humour is in the absolutely uh, fearful uh, bureaucracy that is everywhere, um, and oh, Simon Russell Beale, who's somebody I've never even heard of before, uh, as you mentioned, is slimy and perfect. Somehow I, I didn't think it would be possible for a short fat man. Uh, to be quite so intimidating, despite the fact he's obviously physically weak. But yeah, I, I absolutely love this. Um, did you? Sorry, a little bit off topic, but I don't. Suppose, did you buy the big issue that um, um, Amanda Inichi guest edited recently? I didn't. I tried to look for it, um, but I I couldn't find anyone selling it at, that week, which is really was quite <laughs> irritating. <laughs> Um, well, I've got a, I've got a copy if you want to uh, if you want to have it next time. But um, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, Brexit debate between Malcolm Tucker from the thick of it and uh, Alan Partridge. Mm. Uh, Ian on great form at the minute. I, um, I, I I saw him talking about this film uh, at a live recording of um, one of our podcast peers, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, or as the cool kids call it, Rehalestaper. <laughs> No, no cool kids in. Okay, no. Um, so, um, uh, and I mean, I cannot recommend that episode enough. Um, there's a particularly brilliant reference at the end to um, uh, it's Alan Partridge proving that that despite being like now a, a a well known and very successful film director as well as all his other incredible credits, that he's still completely um, okay with chanting his own. Um, catchphrases from his earlier days in comedy but um yeah he talks in great detail about the parallels between this film and uh trump and how this was something of a response to the fact that trump was almost unsatirable so he kind of went back in history and had a look at uh, other things that he could do um and he, yeah, he tells some of the stories that uh, give give some of the more of the background of the kind of recording and the 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 real life events that inform some parts of the film. So yeah, I, I can't recommend the Armando Iannucci, uh, the most recent Armando Iannucci episode of the Richard Herring Leicester Square Theatre podcast to uh, to those that are mm. interested in this film. Funny you said that about podcasts. Actually, I listened to a podcast. Uh, I think it was a a Joe UK one with um, the LBC presenter James O'Brien recently mm. uh, got it was all over Twitter people were saying how good it was it's a um, story about some American um, financier basically who is one of on Putin's hit list as number one target basically right. it's a fascinating story about how he invested in the rebirth of Russia only to have um, Putin try to swipe it from him basically and it makes you realise that a lot of you know Russia is still suffering what you know, a four, you know, and a five-day bender hangover from uh, the death of the Soviet Union. Um, it's largely, well, it's not communist anymore. It's got the same kind of bureaucracy, and it's, you know, there is there is a nature that the state is still watching everybody. I thoroughly recommend that as well. Um, 
it's right up your street, but I don't think you've seen it. Michael, any thoughts on this? No, I've not, I've not seen it, but I mean, I can't imagine a film that I would be able to guarantee I'd like to the extent um, that I can with this. I mean, ev- everyone I've seen talk about it has said it was excellent. Everything I've ever see, uh, seen or experienced that involved Iannucci, I've loved. And um, it sounds like it's absolutely my type of humour, so I'll definitely be seeing this, and I'm sure I'll love it. You will. I, I, I can say that with... You know, I, I, I'll buy you two pints if you don't like it, but you've got to be honest. <laughs> All so right. You, you can't just say, oh, I hated that. Go get us a, go and get us a bevy. Um, or two. <laughs> just that... Yeah. Just out of interest, how widely available was this up in, um, up in I don't know, whatever, the north, is it, you guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, surprisingly, I mean, um, it wasn't, so for instance, the three cine worlds within kind of driving distance, if you like, or decent driving distance, and um, it was only on one of them, the Newcastle City Centre one, but um, but yeah, there was quite a few showings of it, so oh, I don't think it was, I don't yeah. think it was on huge release, but um, it at least it made it somewhere. Yeah, so it, yeah all, the, it, all the independent ones in Sheffield had it had it on uh, quite a bit, but um, I'm not sure about the mainstreamy ones. That's good. That's good because it, it wasn't it wasn't on at the Cineworld in West London near near me at all. Uh, it only had kind of two showings a day at the Odeon that is a, a little bit out of my way and at really awkward times for people who have jobs. Uh, I had to go and see a half past eight showing. Like I'm nearly thirty. <laughs> totally unacceptable. Yeah. Um, and it's um, it's apparently going to hit the US next year. It, it's it's had a very very it's a it, it really is quite an independent kind of film, and it's had a very low key release. But it has apparently to date taken more than uh, Blade Runner. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, like only only within like pounds, but they're almost at exactly the same amount. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm really happy that this film. Has done good business, but that it's that's almost absurd. That blockbuster <laughs> couldn't do more than an you know a cult comedy. Uh, wow, Clive, I'm assuming you haven't seen this either. Um, I've not. No, I do want to though, because everyone who's seen it seems to be a big fan of it. And yeah, so it's on the list to go see. Faux shizzle, but it's, I think I've missed it now in the cinema, so I will probably have to yeah. wait till. Well, it, I, it's not. It's not a film you have to see at the cinema, even though it is. You know. It's perfectly cinematic, but it'll be just fine on a, on a home telly. Yeah, absolutely, cool. I agree. Awesome. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, cool, right, uh, we'll move to... Al, have you got another one to talk uh, about? No, yeah. Michael, you've not, have you? I don't know. So we'll go to Al. Yeah, so uh, the third film, I've, a new film I've seen since the last podcast, which isn't a huge amount of films for me, but um, third one I'll be happy to say I enjoyed as well, which is quite strange considering I was getting... A bit tired of the comic book uh, genre. Uh, anyway, it's Thor Ragnarok, the third film in the Thor series and about the 95th in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars is going to catch up soon by the sound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, directed by Taika Waititi, uh, best known for one of Clive's, I believe it was one of your favourite films last year, um, Hunt for the Wilder People. Is that what it's called, Clive? Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did love it, yeah. yeah. It wasn't in my top five or anything, I don't think, but I was a big fan of it, yeah. Yeah. Stars Chris Hemsworth, as usual, as Thor. Tom Hiddleston, as usual, as Loki. Idris Elba and Anthony Hopkins replies to their roles, as does Mark Ruffalo as the Incredible Hulk, which sounds like it should be a spoiler, but the fact that he's, you know, on all of the merchandising um, means, and, and in the trailers, means that, you know, it's not. 
Kate Blanchett plays the main bad guy in this. Uh, I forget her name, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, Tessa Thompson, Carl Urban. You know, good, solid ensemble cast. And um, I think the reason this really works is the fact that it's made with self-awareness. I mean, the whole concept of Thor is so kitsch, so cheesy, so Buck Rogers, you know, Flash Gordon, so absurd um, that when it tries to take itself seriously, it, you know, it becomes a bit of a farce. Um, but under Watiti's direction, it kind of revels in the fact that it's a little bit, you know, Saturday morning sci-fi from the 70s. Uh, it kind of amps it up, and then it has a little bit of self-awareness. There's almost a minute in it, a uh, moment in it where Thor Thor break, breaks the fourth wall. Uh, it turns out he's actually talking to a bad guy, but um, it appears that way to start with. And it just had a really good sense of humour throughout. It was very funny, um, and Watiti actually um, voices a rock monster creature in it, and he steals the <laughs> show every single time um, with a kind of like a personality and laid-back New Zealand voice that absolutely does not fit the creature he is. Um, but I really enjoyed Jeff Goldblum is on top form as Jeff Goldblum in a role that may as well have been written for him Um, I understand that it wasn't but um, it's this kind of like absurdly flamboyant kind of uh, collector of people if you like Uh, anyway he's very good in it Um, and while the plot is largely you know paint by numbers Marvel uh, you know Hero gets cast aside, has to come back to save the day. The bits in between were a lot of fun, including a very good fun fight scene between Thor and Hulk. Yeah, it, it was just it was a lot of fun. You know, it's absolutely forgettable, but um, if you fancy a superhero flick, this you know, and you don't want to go down the dark route, so things like the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight Rises or. Button begins. You just want something that is pure fun. This is a lot of fun, um, and it, there are far worse ways to uh, kill two hours or however long it is. And I think this is the right direction for the Thor series to take because I wasn't a huge fan of the other two. I mainly went to see this uh, for the sake of completion. But yeah, I had a lot of fun. Oh, and Tessa, Tessa Thompson's very good actually. Seems to have been quite deliberately made into as kind of female Han Solo, and that's not a bad thing anyway. Has anyone else seen this or bothered about it? Um, I want to because I do like, uh, is it Watiti? Yeah. Like, like you said, I like yeah. Come for the Wheel Tour. I was keen to see what he did with it and I heard, I've heard some good things. Even though I am definitely completely fatigued of superhero films, I do so, uh, enjoy them if they don't take themselves too seriously. So I can imagine I would enjoy it enough. I don't know, he just seems like a really cool guy, Watiti. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I should I mean, like to see what he does, <laughs> what he does with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they gave him the job. but he's, he's, Yeah, he's, same. <laughs> You know, he's done a very good job with it. I mean, um, I've only... I don't know if I've actually seen any of his films. Like, I know he's responsible for quite a lot of Flight of the Concords, um, or at least direction-wise, but I don't think I've seen it. Cause I believe I he also did We Are, Are in the Shadows, or uh, yeah. something like that. With what, um, what We Do in the Shadows, yeah. That's it, yeah, which is excellent. That's very Flight of Concords-style humour, so... I'm not surprised he was also involved in that. <laughs> it seems like everyone's yeah. been saying this film's a blast, so which these films have definitely stopped being, I think, for the most part. So uh, it, that's got to be a good thing. It's just, um, I don't know. It's just, it it just doesn't take itself seriously at all. It, it is, it's like um, a light snack, you know. It, it it's it's not. A, it's doing nothing for the genre. It's not progressing it or anyways. But it's it's basically saying, you know. 
this concept is abs- is absurd. You know, Vikings in space. Uh, <laughs> you know, let's let's just roll with it. You know, let's just acknowledge the fact that this is a bit silly, and have a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I I enjoyed it. Um, I mean. I can't really say any. It used to be the case that I, you know I, I do like the superhero genre, and it used to be a case that I get excited for the new films, and I don't think I really can. There's so many of them; it's hard to get excited now. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it is what it is. I mean, this I would say Thor Ragnarok owes quite a lot to Guardians of the Galaxy. It's kind of it's got the same same kind of tone, and I think well, it, well whether it's Rotiti's decision or Marvel in general have just realised they were onto a winner with Guardians. You know, but I'm happy to see it. Dave, I'm assuming you haven't seen this. No, I haven't. Um, I don't have a particularly good reason for having not. I've heard nothing but great things about it. I am. I I think I've hit fatigue. Honestly, yeah. I think in the last year I've just stopped caring. I can't keep track of what's going on, and I think you have to. I think to some extent the the thing has got so complex that it requires a level of thought in between movies that I just cannot be frankly asked to give it. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, and to be fair, I'm not. I wouldn't even. This isn't. I wouldn't say it's a must watch by any stretch. Mm. Um, but you know, if you have hours to kill, yeah, you know, it, it's worth seeing. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cool. And if, if if they could just make the if they could just make this. That film and do that once a year, and cut out all the ones that I don't want to watch. <laughs> then yeah. I'd probably I'd probably watch them, but um, the 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 universe just it's just got so mattered and inter interwoven between each other that you're expected to enjoy such a a, a crazy amount of detail and part of the part of the fun of these things are often the um, connection they have with other things, or the some, it seems that more uh, too maybe too much effort is put into having throwbacks and callbacks and uh, oh hey do you remember that moment we had eight years ago when we made an almost identical film but with different actors playing the same people, um, but in in total continuum um, rather than building a, a coherent movie and I'm not saying that this one does because I've not seen it but um, the others have have not given me any hope that any new film will be any different so uh, if I'm yeah if I happen to be walking past a cinema and for some reason as I'm walking past it I've arrived at appointment two and a half hours early I have, <laughs> I have eight pounds in my pocket then yeah, eight prob- pounds. You're not going to say anything for that, my friend. It. Well, I'm thinking that if it's an appointment, it's probably a Tuesday morning. Oh, is that a bit cheaper? Yeah, yeah. Um, I also I also can get some little vouchers through through a little work scheme, but um, just just to fill out the context. <laughs> <laughs> but but otherwise, yeah, I'm probably I'm gonna I'm just gonna front it up and say I'll probably never end up watching this movie. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. I mean, I think probably the fact that um, these films have reached saturation point is, in fairness, a reflection of the comic book industry, where mm. it's constantly got you know Thor comics or Batman comics or whatever. They're constantly coming out. There is no break, so they're only following the business model they know, and it keeps making money. 
but it seems to be a lot more of effort on screen than it does in reading a comic book. But there but you go, anyway. I, I'm perhaps I'm being ignorant because I'm not a massive. Um, I've not been massively into comic books ever. But my understanding of those, at least, is that they get writers in frequently to tell their own story that sits fairly independently of the others. Oh, y- now, yeah. Now, I know, I know they get different directors in for lots of these films and they, they do things to a an extent their own way. The, the kind of... The... Um, uh, the kind of... What's the word I'm looking for? The the world that they are given by the studio that they can operate in is already yeah. so limited and informed by everything that's come before it that there's no scope to make any film individual in the way yeah. that there is with a Alan Moore Batman as opposed to a Frank Miller Batman. You know, I it, it's <laughs> it's as, but it's as different as those kind of things are as different as a Tim Burton Batman and a and a and a Chris Nolan Batman those kind of things I can totally get behind it's you know when was the first X-Men movie 2000 1999 and I'm supposed to still be watching three films four films a year every single year and they all uh well I, okay yeah X-Men I've slightly confused matters there but when was the first of the you know the first Thor movie in this uh mm. Hulk movie in this 2003 2002 you know, it's yeah, fifteen years of my that, yeah. of my fucking life. It didn't take me that long to read The Hobbit. <laughs> I mean, not far yeah. off it. <laughs> I think everything just seems to want to be a massive franchise now. Um, I read some report that The Walking Dead intends on basically con- continuing ad infinitum. You know, um, just you know, yeah. un- until yeah. nobody's watching it. It's a bad idea. <laughs> it's just bad idea. Three, three more. Uh, another Star Wars trilogy just signed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, a prop, you know, uh, is, and that's on top of all the individual standalone movies. There, there will be a point where they stop making money, and it's going to hit such a cliff edge because they're going to put so much money into the production of these things. Investors are going to bankroll them based on previous histories, and uh, one, there's going to be one film, and I don't know when it is, and I don't know which one it's going to be, but it's going to tank really, really hard. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna. Should we have a pool? I'm gonna say Thor six. <laughs> is this we, not four? Is this not four six? Which one was this? No, this is Thor three. Which three. year is that going to be released, Alex? Uh, in about eight years. No, next year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna gonna say, <laughs> Easter eighteen. I mean, I saw a thing the other day of um, some guy saying like how many sequels Disney was now releasing because obviously they own Marvel. Um, they're releasing pretty much every year, well, not even a sequel, you know, a live-action version of some cartoon, then there's probably going to be, very soon, two Star Wars films a year. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um, there's at least three marks. They're doing like they're going to be doing, like, six, seven sequels every year. And I would just love it if that money got pumped into doing something original. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All these, like, like you say, Dave, if they go to Marvel, it's a very constricted thing they have to follow it's like it's not suddenly going to be completely mental and try something really new no i think it's going to be the same with this star wars stuff it's going to be like yeah it's a new star wars and it's a maybe slightly different area of the universe but it's probably going to follow similar and yeah rogue one was different and a bit more gritty but it still followed a lot of tropes Um, oh yeah absolutely it didn't do anything whereas i'd love it if someone gave um for example it's a what's his name who's got the trilogy Uh, ryan johnson yeah, who I really like, but I'd love it if someone just gave him 
that money to make an original trilogy of something that he's come up with, um, yeah. which would be, in my opinion, way more interesting. So I think so. So which which comes first then, four six or a Disney film <laughs> with some original IP? Uh, Thor, Thor, Thor six is definitely, yeah, definitely Thor six. Yeah. Thor six. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, well, I think it, I feel like I'm totally torn as well, though, because in general, even if I'm fatigued on them, the Marvel films are usually at worst, you know, serviceable. Three star yeah. out of five films, you know, sometimes four out of five, and you know, I've enjoyed both the Star Wars. So, in a way, I'm pleased that Disney has seen to have bought this kind of production line of class where the films are always at least pretty good. If you know, pretty good to quite good, but yeah, it's tiring, and I'm going to get bored of it's, Star um, Wars. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe the, the problem is a success. Maybe yeah. you know you expect because maybe this maybe Thor Ragnarok, if it had come after two year gap before since any other Marvel movie, and you know it was the third or fourth, we might be talking about it as an all time classic in its genre. But it's it's got to be compared to a whole bunch of other movies that are so good that. It that anything other than great suddenly becomes mediocre. That was the worst sentence I've ever said out loud. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get you. Oh but God. for me, it dilutes the. It, um, you came up with a good. I think it was you that said it, Dave. The, the it's not exciting anymore. Um, and mm. like the Star Wars that came, you know, um, Force Awakens. I was super excited, and I remember sitting where the theme tune came on in the cinema, and I was like. It was, you know, one of the most excited I've been in a cinema for a long time. Whereas now, The Last Jedi, I'm already a bit like, eh, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not, the excitement's gone because I'm like, this is going to be happening every year and probably twice a year soon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just lost its, it's lost something, some of its magic just because of the fact that so many of them, it doesn't matter how good they are, if they're this frequent, they've lost a certain something, in my opinion. It is. And if they're all, even if they're all great, but they're all kind of similar, again, like that's the kind of point you were making, I think, with. Uh, <laughs> Thor Ragnarok and Marvel they, they could all be great but if they're all similar then it's like yeah it's not nothing stands out in it yeah it's just this melange yeah. of stuff that's kind of all similar and yeah it might all be fun but oh melange I don't know that's a nice yeah, that's a great yeah, word that was good <laughs> was that you Clive? That, was, that was you Clive it wasn't Michael um, I actually was... got taught a word today by an 8 year old child oh really go um, on <laughs> We were coming up with, I was like, oh, what adjectives could we give to this volcano, I think it was, and she said resplendent, and I was like, what Whoa. the hell does that mean? <laughs> Love it. I didn't know what it meant. Uh, luckily, my teaching assistant did. So, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I admitted that I didn't know it, though. So. I'm, I think you should take credit for that, Clive. Um, yeah. It was me that taught her, you know, to read a dictionary all night. <laughs> inspired her. Indirectly taught her. She came out with it, and I was just like, What? <laughs> Yeah, I was not expecting that, but nice one. Um, cool. So, have you? Has anyone else got anything else? Or shall I go into mine? Ah, no, I've got nothing else. Michael, you didn't have anything else to say, did you? No, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> Dave? No, no. Um, uh, why don't Why don't me and Michael head off to the pub, and you guys can just catch us up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we weren't miles apart, that would be very appealing. Yeah, I'm not saying the same pub. <laughs> maybe we could just carry this skype on but from a pub <laughs> um anyway right I'll, I'll talk about mine i'm just gonna it's not gonna be particularly long i watched um the other day a film called gifted which is another film from this year um beck was wanting to watch it and i thought it sounded intriguing so we watched it um it's a film from this year like i've said i think it came out in april so it's just come out on blu-ray directed by mark webb 
It stars um, Chris Evans, McKenna Grace, Lindsay Duncan, Jenny Slate and um, Octavia Spencer. It's about, so uh, it follows a, an intellectually gifted seven-year-old, um, particularly in maths, and uh, the relationship with her uncle. Uh, essentially, her mum commits suicide and she's left in her uncle's care. This has all happened before the start of the film. Um, her mother, so the girl, the girl's called Mary, the seven-year-old, her mother was a math prodigy and uh, close to solving one of the biggest maths problems uh, in the world. And it becomes clear that this was kind of due to the amount she was pushed by her own mother, so Mary's grandmother, at the expense of her uh, kind of social development and something that Chris Evans' character, who's called Frank, from what I recall, uh, believes is basically a, a reason, uh, partially what led to her suicide. So he, in caring for Mary, wants to make sure she doesn't go down the same path and he wants her to live more of a normal life, even if she is incredibly gifted. So he sends her to a normal school, refuses to have her sent to you know a school for gifted kids, um, just because he, he feels like she should, you know, he wants her to build up the social skills and have a more of a normal life than her mother did. But it's, I, I thought this was really good. Um, it really surprised me, actually, because I didn't expect it. I thought it was going to be one of those kind of soppy, uh, I don't know, just soppy dramas. But it wasn't. It had, it was quite interesting in the parallels it made with um, a lot of it. The grandma at one point tries to take back, uh, this isn't a spoiler, this is near the start of the film, tries to, wants to take the child back under her custody and doesn't believe with the way Frank is looking after her because he doesn't think she, uh, he's pushing her enough and he's holding her back and he's not taking proper care of her, basically. And it kind of poses the question of which of the two are right and it never really... Um, <laughs> it's kind of, without spoiling anything, rests somewhere in the middle, I suppose. But it is a really interesting debate of how... And I think it has parallels to Whiplash did this in the kind of sacrifices that you give to your life for driving to be the best at something. The only difference being here, the main character is much younger and perhaps has less kind of capacity to make her own decisions, is much more open to being pushed by someone else into something rather than wanting to do it like um, Miles Teller's character in Whiplash. But I think there are a lot of parallels and I think it's kind of a quite a fascinating thing that hasn't been discussed that much in cinema. So I really enjoyed it and I thought it was... Uh, Chris. I keep saying Chris Pine, it's not Chris Pine. Chris Evans, uh, not Radio Chris Evans. <laughs> <laughs> not not Ginger Prick, Chris. Um. <laughs> but um, Marvel Chris Evans, surprisingly, um, gives a... Yeah, he's really, really good. The girl's really, really good. Um, Octavia Spencer is particularly fantastic. She's always great. I'm a big fan of her. So, yeah, I, I really liked it. It's a good, good family film, I'd say, but also you'd probably get a surprising amount out of it if you trying to watch it as a drama about you know about this kind of topic and as a teacher myself it covers some topics that i'm interested in as well with you know a lot of the curriculum going down box ticking exercises rather than developing the whole the whole child and stuff like that um you know it brings up those kind of debates which i always always find interesting so yeah i'd recommend it i think it's a bit of a, a surprise it's not completely amazing but i think it does cover something that's not covered a lot um and i think for that it deserves some plaudits, and it's done well. I haven't even heard of this one, and um, I, I hadn't I, to be fair until I, I've usually it. heard of films even 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 in passing, but um, sounds sounds You'd pretty good. The, is it? You know the theme tune, though, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> we can be no. gifted. Do, 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 do. <laughs> gifted. That do, plays do, throughout. Gifted. <laughs> <Away>. <laughs> Uh, how do you, so From the it, shadow. <laughs> <laughs> is this available on demand, Clive? It was 
I believe we rented it via Google Play because um, I had some sort of free film thing on it. Right, okay. Um, so it wasn't available to stream for free yet, but uh, it was available, okay. yeah, via rental services. Right, okay. <laughs> so, or, or Blu-ray or whatever, I guess. I think it has only just come out. I think it was, in fact, Beck had heard of it because she'd watched, uh, is it Mark Moe's film review on yes. the BBC? And uh, she said that he really liked it and he said similar things to me and that he was going into it a bit sceptical but then came out really liking it. So, has his seal of approval as well, apparently. So Cool. Must be good. <laughs> right, it's about the time uh, where we make a joke um, that is absolutely long run its course. Uh, we're totally out of material for. Normally this <laughs> falls on me to uh, think of something on the spot. Sometimes it's funny. Most of the time it's not. Uh, I'm going to shirk the responsibility and dump it on Michael to come up with a shit joke. Go ahead, Michael. <laughs> but you just said that we've used every possibility. I know. That's why I'm shirking the responsibility. <laughs> um, surely there's another thing for plug. No, we've, we've come up with anal plug... Plug in a sink and plug as in... Uh, I, I think that's all we've come up with, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think so. there's anything left. Um, right, I'm going to... Uh, so Clive, I'm... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm having uh, I'm having issues starting my car in, in this cold weather. I kind of... <laughs> I kind of turn the key and it kind of... It, it's, it's just... It's just missing that spark. Um, <laughs> oh... <laughs> I think what you're what, what, um, what, what, what do you think the what do you think the issue might be and, and when do you think I should get it sorted? <laughs> I think what you need is some spark plug tie. <laughs> oh <laughs> at Stick Around Cast on Twitter. Stick around podcast on Facebook, slash stick around podcast that is. Slash stick around on Patreon if you want to throw some money our way. Um, slash stick around podcast on Instagram for photos at stick around podcast. No, fucked it. Stick around podcast at gmail.com. If you want to email us, you can find us on all podcast apps. Please give us a reviews on iTunes. That apparently moves us up quicker than anything else. And so I'm tempted to just make loads of email accounts and give us five stars. Give us, give, give us the odd one fa- star as well, just to balance it out. You know, oh, make it look realistic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we do want to look polarizing. Because all the best things are polarizing. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, I think that I've co- I feel like I've covered it, but I feel like I haven't. Um, you probably feeling. missed something, but you know, probably, we'll but it's it probably not that important. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we'll be back next with I believe it's usually games next. It isn't is. It? it is. Yeah. I mean, which there's always a chance we'll sneak in a books one, but um, you know, if it goes to order, it'll be games. Cool. Um, now I'm going to talk about Super Mario Odyssey. I know Dave has also got Super Mario Odyssey. Oh, um, yes. Needles to say, I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> and you didn't even have to take drugs. Um, I didn't, actually, no, but it was like being on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so, all the best. <laughs> best of both worlds. Um, so, cool. Thanks for coming along, guys. It's been really yeah, good speaking, as always. Thank you. Thank you for See having you next and, time. Uh, we'll see you in a week or so for games. Hasta la vista. Time to Stick end around. podcast. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe. 
it's stick around when all our luck runs out again we're brought back down to solid <laughs> ground i wouldn't say i'm mad about the rain <laughs> you've got you've got the qu- you know more of these lyrics than um, have you got the, have you got the lyrics up don't spoil the illusion clive <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, yeah, maybe it just happened to be one of those songs that you knew all the lyrics for.